Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I'd like to invite the children to come down front. Let's get coming down front for a minute. We're going to dismiss you to Children's Church and Children's Choir. I need your help with something here for a minute. And uh, let me get my... What's that? No, I got my key. No, I didn't find my key. So <laughs> I've given up on that. So um, thank you. Who said thank you? <laughs> Sadie, did you say thank you? Oh, okay. All right. So um, I need you guys to help me for something here. I need you to help me name somebody. So can we put the lights down for a second so I can... I want to... Uh, this guy up here... Uh, no, up there, you guys. Hey, hey, up this way. <laughs> it's the same thing, but that's a lot closer, Okay. And I don't want them to know you can look at it back there because I want them all to turn around during church looking at it. So look at, so there's a, a friend of mine that uh, he's sitting in our windowsill in our kitchen and he hasn't got a name. Let's get a little closer so you can see him a little better. And uh, he's sitting there on a, on a little a box of matches sitting in our windowsill. He looks happy, doesn't he? Come on, you guys. Doesn't he look happy? He's waving. He's smiling. And, uh, but I don't have a name for him. Bobby. Uh, what? Yes. Bobby. Jeff? Um, Noah. Noah. McDonald's. McDonald's. I was thinking of kind of a Western name, like, you know, oh, Buckaroo or something. Yeah, Naomi. What? Morris? Lesmore? Morris Lesmore. Let's go with that. We'll call him Morris. What? I like that. Morris Lesmore. Thanks, Naomi. All right. Shh. All right, we got it. We'll call him Morris. We'll call him Maury for short. Morris Lesmore. And you know what? Um, he's going he's gonna to be part of our message today. So you can ask your parents, whoever brought you today after. Hey, what was Pastor Jim talking about, the guy in the Morris Lesmore up there that's uh, sitting in his windowsill? Okay. But you know what? I just want to remind you before you go to Children's Church and Children's Choir today, we have a name too. Some weeks ago we talked about our church name, Brian Bible Church. But we as people who know Christ as Savior, what are we called? Thank you. Christians. We are called Christians. You know what that really means? If you were to break it down, it means Christ ones. Christ ones. So you know God has put his name on you and on me if we are a Christian. We are Christ ones. And so as you walk with the Lord this week, wherever God takes you, whatever you do this week, whether it's in the store, whether it's at home, in your neighborhood, whatever you're doing this week, you remember that you bear the name of Jesus Christ. You are a Christ one. And God wants us to live like a Christ one so other people will see Jesus Christ in us. And that might attract them and say, you know, what is it? Why is it that, that you're different? What is it? It's because of Jesus Christ in my life. So we'll, we'll remember Morris Lesmore, and you can ask your parents about Morris Lesmore after service, why he was up this morning, okay? All right, you guys, let's, hey, wait, let's pray. Whoa, 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 let's pray. Hey, wait, wait, come back here. <laughs> come on back, let's pray, okay? We'll pray for you guys, and we'll pray for the service. Father, we pray for these uh, young people. We thank you for them. Uh, some of them are getting ready to move into junior high, and then next year we'll be having some new ones coming into the group. Uh, we just thank you so much for them. They're such a joy. And we pray your blessing on them as they continue to worship, to serve, and to learn about you. And we pray as we open your word that we will learn more about you to walk with you this week. We thank you for this great day. In Christ our Savior's name we pray. 
Amen. Remember, happy Father's Day to your dads today, you guys. Thank you, Charlie. All right. Morris Lesmore. That's a good name. I was thinking more like Tex or something, but that, that's a good one. <laughs> I think that. Um, yeah, Morris is going to have something to do with our message here at the end of the service, so we'll uh, we'll take him off for now, um, he, and uh, we'll come back to that happy happy face there a little bit. I like that he, he's sitting in our windowsill and uh, kind of makes me happy. I'm not an unhappy person, right? But uh, it's just kind of something about that guy. He's just he's just his smile, his wave. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of cool. I like him. So he's sitting right there in our, in our kitchen sink and, uh, Morris Lesmore. Okay. Good. Olga, nice to have you with us today. Um, she's due to have her baby anytime. And, you know, good ladies will notice in October, uh, July 12th, I believe it is, there's going to be a shower. And, uh, hey, that's a good name. Morris Lesmore for your baby. <laughs> it's a boy, right? <laughs> well, think about that. <laughs> That would be a fun one, a dedication to come up with a character quality for that one. Okay. Alrighty. So, we're going to continue our thoughts about our memory verses that we are learning. And last week we took a little break because we had our uh, traditional Sunday where uh, Pastor Kevin honors our youth and brings a challenge to them and to us. And so today... Uh, we're going to follow up with last Sunday's verse, and hopefully you've been memorizing it. I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud right now. We'll say it together in a little bit, but uh, we're going we're to consider the verse from last Sunday. But in order to get there, in order to get there, we're going to start in the Old Testament. I'd like you to open your Bibles to some Old Testament passages, Exodus chapter 40. So uh, in the morning service, if you don't have a Bible... I know a lot of you are using your phones and tablets and so on, and that's great. If you don't have a Bible and you have something with you, we have them on the end of each uh, row. There's a, a hardbound Bible that you can use, and you're also free to take that Bible. We have more to replace it. So if you need a Bible or you know someone who needs a Bible, feel free to take that Bible, and uh, we'll replace it, okay? So like us open our Bibles to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, and the context is the uh, building of the tabernacle when at Mount Sinai as God gives the guidelines and the rules for building the tabernacle that they are going to take with them on their journey, on their journey to the promised land. Now, I mentioned several times our trip to Israel last year because that was such a fun, we had such a fun time with traveling with our friends. That was the greatest part about it, all of you that were able to go with us. And we tried to share some of that with the rest of you when we came back. And of course, when you go to Israel today, one of the, the, in Jerusalem, the outstanding feature you you know you just see is just from everywhere is the dome of the rock, which of course uh, the dome of the rock is an Islamic shrine, and uh, it sits either on the site or next to the site. There's different opinions. I don't want to go into that this morning, but that area where it is is where the temple of God eventually stood. The temple was a permanent dwelling. I titled my sermon today: Where Where does the Father live? Uh, where does God, where does God live? Of course, it's a ridiculous question, but it's addressed as we look at this this morning. Where, where does God reside? Where is, it's Father's Day. Where does the Father reside? And isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that God chooses the language of familial characteristics, family, to talk about His relationship with us, right? From the very beginning, it's God our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. We talk about, we are God's children. 
You know, the children of Israel were God's children. Today, the church, the body of Christ is unique people of God. There's coming a time when God, when we believe Christ will reign on earth. And once again, uh, Israel will be used to bring in that messianic kingdom for the entire world. Uh, when there'll be true peace on earth and, and, and justice. And we use these languages of father, children, that God uses because we understand that. And, and, and so in Exodus chapter 40, as we come to the very end of this book, when I, want you to, I want you to notice as they dedicate this temple, in verse 33, the tabernacle, excuse me, I'll try to make, keep it straight now, because the tabernacle was the temporary shelter. It was a tent, a very elaborate tent, very heavy material, very elaborate, very detailed. And it, it, it got set up and it got taken down. In the next place it got set up and it got taken down. And it was on its journey as well to the promised land where it would be set up in the promised land. And it says in verse 33 that Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle. So you have the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and then you have the courtyard around it with also a, a fence-type uh, structure that went around it as well, and the altar. And he put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished his work. They finished this tabernacle. They've been at Mount Sinai for a year. It took a year to get this ready. And now they're ready to, to move on and to take this with them. But it says they set it up for the first time. And in verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of meaning, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. And if it didn't, they would stay. And this, this cloud that they've been following was the presence of God. It was the visible presence of God. It was the visible presence of God. And when they built the tabernacle in the area where they call what the, 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 the holy place, where the ark, where the holy place was, the presence of God would come in and would fill and, and his presence would be in that place. And Moses could not go in the tent. It was so blazing. We call this the Shekinah glory of God. This glory was so blazing and so powerful, it says that, that Moses, they couldn't go in there. It, it, it blinded them. And later on, when Moses does go in, when he comes out from, from God's presence, the, the people notice it because of the presence of God in the tabernacle. He is present in a very special way. He is not contained there, right? He is not contained there. But his presence in a very wonderful way is, is evident to them in this place. This last week, if you were happen to be reading in the uh, chronological Bible reading that many of us are doing, that's through the Grace Gospel Fellowship uh, website. And, uh, and, and so it, it, you're reading through the Bible in chronological order, so you do move around a little bit. This last week, last week we were in Kings and Chronicles, and I mentioned to you in our church emailing, if you'd like to get our church emailing, just let us know. We'll put you on the email list. comes out each week with announcements and things, things that are going on we'd like you to know about. And I mentioned there to maybe read through this passage. But if you turn to Second Chronicles chapter 5, we're going to go in, go in your Old Testament a little further to Second Chronicles, Kings and Chronicles, which give us the life of the kings, obviously, and the chronicles, the king's lives in Israel. And we go to Second Chronicles, chapter 5. This last week we read this whole section from Chronicles and Kings. 
of the building of the permanent temple that David had given. If you read through this, and I would just encourage you to, you could take some time and read through this section in Kings and Chronicles. King David really wanted to build the temple. He wanted to build a permanent place for God to dwell in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, God said, I'm putting my name on this place. This is my city. Uh, Yerushalayim, the city of peace. Shalom, Shalom, Salayim, the city of peace. This is my place. I will dwell. Mount Zion. And David had it in his heart to build the temple. But God wouldn't let David build the temple. And in fact, he says, he says, David, you have been a man of war. I've had to use you as a man of war. There's too much blood on your hands. You cannot build the temple. But your son, Solomon, which also is connected to the word shalom, salah, salah, peace. He will build it. So David put all the blueprints together. David had all the plans to the detail. And when Solomon became king, they were handed to him and he had it built. And you're given all the detail of this temple, the, the, the cedars from Lebanon, the, the workmen that came, the craftsmen. I mean, you know, architecture is important. Building is important. Uh, one of the most ex- expressive ways of that we, that we show creation. We are created in God's image. Our God is creative. Architecture, um, you know, it's, it, it's important, I think. And it's expressive. And, and this temple was very detailed, very detailed. And, and the work and the workers, and it names the workers, and it names the craftsmen, and it names the skilled labor that it took to build this temple. And they finally finished this temple. And they're going to dedicate it. In chapter 5, verse 1, when all the work Solomon had done, Second Chronicles chapter 5, for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated. He brought in the furnishings for the temple. As you read through this, we'll look at just a couple of highlights. In verse 7, the priests, the priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, this very special article with the tablets in it that was to go in the holy place. He brought the Ark of the Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, the place where only the high priest could go one time on Yom Kippur, Yom Day Kippur, Kephar covering, the day of covering. One time a year, the high priest went into that holy place and offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people on Yom Kippur. And they, and they, and they took this in there. They brought it into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and they put it beneath the wings of the cherubim, one of these articles that David had had given the blueprints for. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and covered the ark and its carrying poles. Their poles were so long that their ends extended from the ark and it could be seen in front of the inner sanctuary. Verse 10, there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb. And then you'll notice in verse 11, the, the priests then withdraw from the holy place and they consecrate themselves. Verse 12, all the Levites who were musicians and it, and it names them, stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. In, um, it's interesting, I mentioned architecture, and also the Bible speaks much of music. Music was very important, and this was prescribed, this was part of the temple worship, where choruses and musicians, like we have today, this has been part of God's worship from the very beginning. 
They prescribed these musicians. They were part of the officiants working in the temple full-time, full-time musicians working in the temple and playing these instruments and singing and making music and singing God's praise. You'll see the trumpeters and the singers in verse 13, the symbolists, the symbols, all these instruments, percussion and strings and voices and, and winds, woodwind type instruments and stringed instruments. And look at verse uh, I'm looking at, let's see, we have to go back. There's a long verse. verse. Let's read verse 13. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpet, cymbal, and other instruments. They raised their voices and praised the Lord, and they saying, He is good. His love endures forever. We read that psalm this week, where after each line, His love endures forever. Notice. Notice. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, just like in, under Moses, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. God's presence filled this place. In verse chapter 6, Solomon said, The Lord has said he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. And then you have this, this beautiful prayer that Solomon, who, who whole another study, right? Tragic figure. No, nobody, had, nobody had more given to him than Solomon that, that lost more than Solomon. He's probably single-handedly responsible for the, the division of the nation of Israel. He started out very humble, very wise, very godly. And he gives this beautiful prayer of dedication when we opened this building up in 1966, we had a dedication service to, to dedicate it to the Lord. I, I was here as a junior high student at that time. Some of you who are still here were, were here as well. They dedicate this building. And in verse 8, and then we'll look at, let's look at verse 18. We just have to just read part of it. In the midst of his dedication speech and prayer, notice what he says in verse 18. But will God really dwell on earth with men? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. He wanted to make sure there was no misunderstanding. This is not like a pagan temple where the God lives. The God of the universe is not contained in a building. You know, we, we could call this the house of God, right? But God doesn't, isn't, isn't stuck just here, okay? He is here with us. He's across the street at the church across the street at Shoreline Community. He's down the street at the Covenant Church. You know, Evergreen Baptist. God is in the churches, the Nazarene Church. He is here in our midst. But he is not contained. And Solomon makes it very clear. I understand that in building this temple, I understand we have not contained our God. He is not relegated to just this place. The heavens can't contain him. But at the same time, verse 19 Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. O Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night, this place of which you said you would put Hashem, your name there. You know, the Jews use, if, if you were reading the Old, the Old Testament in Hebrew, in a, in, a, in a synagogue setting, you would never pronounce the name Yahweh, the name Lord. You would never say it. You would substitute Adonai or Hashem, the name. 
And if I said to you in a Hebrew context, the name, you knew right away I meant God, but I don't say it. The name. Uh, and, and notice what he says here. He says, you, you have chosen to put your name, your name here. May your eyes be open to this place. This place in which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer of your servant, pray, your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your people. And your people Israel, when they pray toward this pray, place, hear from heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear and forgive. And of course, that's why the Jews, the face east toward Jerusalem, even today, is, you face in certain prayers and stuff toward Jerusalem, <laughs> toward the east, toward Jerusalem. You've chosen, you don't live here, God. You're not contained here, but you have put your name here. You are here in a special sense. Your presence is here, and that's why the priests couldn't be in there. That's why the glory filled the temple, because God's presence was there in a very unique and obvious way to everybody. And at the end of this, at the end of this chapter, at the end of this chapter, in verse seven, chapter seven, verse one. I'm sorry, chapter seven, verse one. When Solomon finished praying, look what happens: fire, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory, the chavad, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord, God's Shekinah glory, His very presence. Think of it, the God of the universe. His very presence filled this, this place behind the curtain. It filled this, this tent of meeting. And it was, it was so blazing and it was so powerful. Once again, in verse 2, the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped. They worshipped. Listen, friends, in Ezekiel, we studied on Sunday night, we studied that, that, that terrible scene where Ezekiel has this vision of seeing God's, seeing God's presence leave the temple. And he describes it as it gradually moves from the temple and moves east and moves out and goes up above the Mount of Olives and goes off over the Mount of Olives and God's presence has left the temple because of, the, because of their sin and the sacrilege. And then Jesus, as he is on the Mount of Olives looking west toward the temple, breaks down and weeps. He doesn't just dry a few tears. He weeps in the Middle Eastern. You've seen those scenes. He weeps. It says, oh, Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim. How often I would have gathered you as, as a hen gathers her chicks. I would have done this. But look, your house is empty. It's empty until you cry out when I return. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was very important. God's presence. In 1 Kings chapter 9, he says this in the same telling of the story. I have consecrated this temple, Solomon says, which you, which we have built by putting, God says, I will consecrate this temple which you, Solomon, have built by putting my name there forever. Yahweh. My name. This is my temple and my presence. My very presence is in this temple. Okay.
All that to bring us to last week's Bible verse that I want you to memorize. Uh, we'll get caught up. But here's last week's Bible verse that we should be memorizing. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and verse 20. Do you not know, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Let's say it together. Give you a head start and memorize. If you haven't done it, if you memorize it, God bless you. If you haven't, God bless you too. Let's do it together, okay? Let's say it together. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Come on, lift your voices. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Listen, friends. Now, first of all, we don't, at our church, we don't teach what's called replacement theology, that, that we have replaced Israel in a sense that all the blessings promised to Israel in the Old Testament are now promised to us. We are not promised that our land will always have rain. We are not promised to always have victory over enemies. These were promises to the nation of Israel as, as the unique people of God. And we happen to believe, we take the book of Revelation literally as, as much as possible, we, have, we, do, we do believe and we stand the tradition that we believe God is once again going to use that nation to, to help bring in, he is going to bring in the kingdom. It is going to be for the entire world. We believe in the coming kingdom. And this Messianic kingdom, I know there are those who say we are building the kingdom of God today. And in a sense, I understand in the sense of the big picture, we, we, are, part of, we are part of God's kingdom. God is king over all. But the literal messianic reign on earth, when the Messiah comes to earth, not as a baby, but as, as he comes as, as, as God himself, and they'll be, they will beat their swords into plowshares. They will not study war no more. Friends, our world is just... How many people have been slaughtered in the last 120 years? Man, this is the kingdom. This is what the kingdom looks like. How much is going on around the world today? It's, 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 it's just, we're, we're just, we're almost numb to this, to what we hear what happens to people. How, how, how wicked people can be to each other. But there's coming a time where there is going to be true peace and justice on earth. When he comes and they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Having said that, at the same time, this whole Old Testament concept of God's presence dwelling in his holy place, does this not give some background, especially for those who have some familiarity with the Old Testament, as, as Paul did and the apostles and the many that came to Christ from that background? Doesn't this give some of that background to really to begin to, to think about this? I mean, this is one of those things that, is this really true? Is this really possible that, that, that Paul says, do you not know you are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
Now, now Paul talks in, in, the, in the epistles. He talks, for example, about the church. He talks in, in 1 Corinthians 3. He talks, in, he talks also in another passage in, in 2 Corinthians. And he talks about that the church collectively, we are God's temple. And then that's true in the sense that, that we are not the replaced Old Testament temple, but we are the people of God today. And if the Holy Spirit generally dwells in us and in us collectively, the apostles talk about this concept. But in this particular case, Paul is specifically talking about the individual sense that yes, I asked, I asked the young people, you know, for the name, that, that Christ, we are Christ ones, that God has put his, God put his name on the temple in Jerusalem and says, I am putting my name on this city. I am putting my name on this place. It is to be a light to the world. It is to be an example to the whole world of the love and compassion of God. And today in this age of the church, the body of Christ, where we are members of his body, he is the head and we are the body. And each one of us, individually, we have been given the Holy Spirit. And and, and Paul says, don't you know this? Don't you understand this? That the Holy Spirit is in you. I mean, just stop and think about this for a minute. Think about it. I mean, it's, it's pretty humbling, isn't it? It's a little scary, in fact, right? To think every place I've been this week, the Holy Spirit has been. He's not contained here, but he's here. Everything I've looked at this week, the Holy Spirit has been there. Everything I've thought of this week, every, every, every time that maybe I have not treated someone the way I should have treated them, he is, he is there. It is kind of scary, isn't it? It's humbling to think that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And in fact, he uses the term here, there are two terms for the temple in the Old Testament. There's overlap. But one term seems to indicate more the holy place. One seems to talk more about the the big, the whole thing. The word he uses here for for the, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit is the one that really is that holy place. It's the place where God's glory dwells. The Shekinah glory of God. You can't see it, right? Look at me. You have any trouble seeing me, Derek? You're not, I'm not blinding anybody, am I? But the Shekinah glory of God dwells in Derek and dwells in me. Dwells in your wife, and someday that little guy is going to come to Christ the Savior, right? And the family, it, it dwells in us. This is an amazing thought, friends. These are the kind of things that we need to stop and just contemplate and, and humbly before God say, really, Lord? <laughs> is this possible? And the Holy Spirit dwells in you if you know Christ the Savior. And if you don't, the Holy Spirit desires to dwell in you. It is the Holy Spirit that actually energizes and changes and, and, and takes the, the sacrifice of Christ from our sins and applies it to your life. The Bible tells us that. It's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. The church is the temple. We are a temple. The Greek philosophers, they thought the body, they thought the body was a prison. They, they taught that the body was a prison that trapped the soul. And someday the soul will be released from this prison. So anything having to do with the body is, is bad. 
And this is why they ridiculed the apostle when he stood up and talked about the resurrection on Mars Hill in Athens and talked about this body actually changing and being resurrected for eternity. That's next week's, the verse we're learning for this coming week. It was ridiculous. They said, okay, Paul, we've heard enough, but we'll invite you back sometime. Okay, friend, you come back and talk to us sometime. They didn't invite him back. They didn't invite him back. It was ridiculous. A few of them invited him and they became believers. A few of them did. But listen, friend, God is in the business of transforming lives. Christ is the source of the sacredness of our bodies. The context in Galatians, the context, I mean, in 2 Corinthians, the context, let's get this right, in 1 Corinthians, okay? The context in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you can take some time to read this, but he is talking about, in this particular case, sexual immorality. And he's talking about being sexually active in a way that you are desecrating your body. This is why he says, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? This is not like what the world teaches, that it's just a physical act and it doesn't matter. Um, no, no, no. And in fact, these pagan temples, they, they practice sexual immorality in the temple. We know that. Paul says, wait a minute, Galatian, Corinthians, if, if anybody's being tempted here, if you're being tempted to, to cheat on your wife and so forth, your husband, so don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't do it. Stop. And certainly that, while it, that, that's the context, certainly it applies to a much wider range of all the things that we are tempted with to remind ourselves. It's just helpful to remember Do I really want to take the Holy Spirit there? Do I really want the Holy Spirit to be with me while I'm doing this or thinking that? Or is that really what I want to do? Listen, friends, God's presence is alive in each of us. The very presence of God. The Old Testament concept of the holy place where God put his name and presence provides a framework to understand what we are today. It's a framework. And so the last part of that verse, I'll let you think about this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. The cross of Calvary. A serious price. Where the God of the universe himself bled and died and paid for my sin. Therefore, friends, really I think the better word would be glorify. Glorify the Lord. Glorify God with your bodies. The temple was the place where the glory of God dwelt and exploded to the point where for a time until it settled down, they couldn't even go in there. I am called to bring glory to God with how I live. How do I do that? Well, let me just say, Galatians, we've been studying Galatians in our class on Sunday morning, and you're all familiar, and I'll just, let me just read it to you. Oops, go the wrong way. Let me just read it to you, and we'll leave it there. It's not that complicated. But the fruit, chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, how does that glory of God explode out of my life? How does it blind anybody out of my life? The fruit of the Spirit is love, 
These are good words. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. And he goes on to say this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. My friend up here, you can look up here. You didn't know it was a little trick you could look in back, did you? Huh? Okay. Turn the lights down for me there, Mr. Pace, if you don't mind. So we can get a light. He's a little hard to see. So what do, we, what do we name him? I already forgot. Morris? Morris Les Morris? Les Morris. A little bit of a contradiction there. Morris Les Morris. Okay? Morris Les Moore. Got it. All right. I'm going to stick with Morris, okay? My, my new friend Morris. Well, Morris, you notice, is a little, is a little worse for the wear there, right? Um, doesn't he look happy though? I mean, I, maybe it's just me. This guy just kind of brings a smile to my face. He's just kind of happy, right? Okay. I was, I was thinking of calling him Tex, but I, you know. So my wife's digging in the garden this last spring, doing the usual stuff over on the east side. A little strip of the house, a little strip of yard between what used to be Mac and Nita's house. Now Mac and Nita's daughter, Michelle, and her husband live there too. So we both grew up. We've been there since my family was 49, her family was 51. So we've been there a while, okay? And that's the house I live in today. So Teresa's digging in the yard, and she finds Tex. <laughs> now Morris. He <laughs> says, hey, look what I found. It never fails. Almost every spring we find something, right? Look what I found. And I right away knew where Morris came from. I can't say exactly what cereal box or what set of toys he came from, but I do know this. I used to always play, there used to be a rockery over there. And I used to always play over there with the cowboys and Indians or the army men and set them up on the rockery and play with them over there when I was a kid. And uh, Morris worked his way in the ground there. And he's been there for 60 years. So we got Morris out. And I took them and I scrubbed them up and washed them down. I didn't boil them, but I, you know, I washed them up and we just sat them there for whatever reason. And he's still sitting there today. And I like to see Morris. Like I say, it brings a smile to my face. I'm not an unhappy person, but I just, I like Morris. And it just occurred to me, if you don't mind me making a really crude and kind of dumb analogy, okay? But it's Father's Day. Humor me. For 60 years, Morris has been smiling and waving. Right? Hasn't changed. For 60 years, he's been smiling and waving and could have made somebody happy with his cowboy hat there and his chaps. But he's been buried. He's been buried in the ground. And nobody saw it. He's out now. But he could have been doing this for 60 years. But he's out now. And for Father's Day this year, I just, my, my thought is, um, fathers, dads, men in the church, I've mentioned this, I know I've mentioned this before, you all know, but my, my father died when I was eight years old, age of some of these kids here. Father's Day was always kind of an odd holiday in my home, you know. Um, 
But man, I had spiritual fathers here in church. Men who cared and invested. Some are still around, like Al Lowen here, who invested in my life. I had fathers. And you know, fathers, what these men in my life, they showed the fruit of the Spirit. And the best gift we can give our families. There are, our kids aren't stupid. Sometimes they act like it, I know. It's like we did. <laughs> but they're not dumb. They're not expecting us to be perfect. They know better than that. But they do have a right to expect we would show the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And it would be a sad thing. It would be a sad thing after all these years of being a spiritual leader in my family that at least some of these things weren't seen, that they they were buried out in the yard. (laughs) Let's put them out there. Why not? And don't say, well, it's just not me. Too bad. Let it be you. (laughs) Ask God to help you. You've got the Holy Spirit. How about we show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Not just fathers, but mothers, young people, whatever your situation. You know Christ the Savior Put it out there. Let's put it out there. Let's let people see. Let's let people see the glory of God, that God can change a life and that we can actually bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to blind anybody, but boy, it sure would be nice to see fruit. God can do that. God bless you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's close our service. Got another African song for us there? No? Okay. All right. Let's stand. Let's close the service and let's lift our voices in praise to God. Thank you for coming today. God bless you for coming. Your presence here is a ministry to others. And remember, spread the word. 10 o'clock service beginning July 1st for July and August this year. Okay? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day you've given us. What a beautiful day. We thank you for these beautiful people that are here with us today. And Lord, it's so good. Uh, I know I know, it's a commitment. They could be anywhere else this morning, Lord, uh, at noontime here. But they've chosen to come to celebrate once again the resurrection day, first day of the week. We leave this place rejoicing. We give you thanks, Lord, especially this day. I give you thanks for the men in our lives who have had a spiritual impact on us. Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that the men here will surrender themselves to you, beginning with this pastor, to everyone here, that we would give our lives wholly to you this week, that the glory of God would somehow be seen in us as we bear the fruit of the Spirit. In Christ, our wonderful Savior's name, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful name. What a beautiful name. Jesus Christ, our Savior, we leave today. Amen. Amen.